Hi, listeners. Before we start, I want to talk to you about community. A podcast is a group effort. There's the hosts, the guests, and of course you, the audience. The more everyone works as a team, the better the show can and will be. Now, we know all of you are busy people, so in order to make things as quick and easy as possible, we've put up a short survey on the show's website at obeythedna.com that you can fill out in just a few minutes. Doing so will help us to know how to make the show even better for you, our listeners, and grow this little podcast community of ours. So please, drop by ObeyTheDNA, that's one word, ObeyTheDNA.com, and click on the Listener Survey button at the top. Let us know about your tastes and what kind of show you want this to be, so we can continue to make it even more awesome. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Hey. And our guest host, Jack Ward. How's it going? And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the changing nature of nerdliness. Did you just create a word, nerdliness? <laughs> is, ner- is nerdliness not a real word? I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of it specifically called nerdliness. But I think it is the state of being a nerd. Yes. Nerditude. That's exactly what it would be. Nerditude, nerdliness, nerdifaction. Yes. Nerdifaction. <laughs> nerdifaction. We are the Department of Nerdly Affairs, sir. We take our nerdliness very seriously. There you go. Take your shot every week. <laughs> nerdlifaction would be the state of becoming a nerd. Oh, it? there you go. Mm. Isn't that nerd nerdmographication? <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack's got you on that one, Don. Yeah, it's a hard one to beat. <laughs> it's a hard one to say. So, so when did nerds start? That's a very good question. Um, I would assume that there have always been nerds. Nerds have always been reclusive types, mm-hmm. uh, introverts, who mm. basically live within their own heads. And I think that that's always been part of the human condition, the human nature. There have always existed those people. I mean, if there weren't, we wouldn't get people like like Plato and Aristotle back in the ancient Greeks. Um, there have been nerds throughout all throughout history. Even before there were books, there were probably nerds who were just into art, for example, they or drawing pictures on cave walls. They yeah. just weren't called nerds. I can tell you where the first appearance of nerd came from as the word nerd. Really? Okay. Yep. I happen okay. to have the internet with me. <laughs> oh, my God. I packed it up and took it away from the, the lords of the internet. They lent it to me. That's that's a reference for anybody who watches IT Crowd. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's a nerdly show to watch for a nerd thing. Uh, no, Dr. Seuss's book, If I Ran the Zoo, where really? one of the creatures' name is a nerd. Mm-hmm. You can collect a Nurkle, a nerd, and a seersucker, too, for his imaginary zoo. But that's so that's the first time it was used, but it was used in the 50s 
as somebody who is sort of overly intellectual, obsessive, or lacking social skills. Or that bad. would make sense. Yeah. Sometimes shy, quirky, unattractive. Right. In the 50s, they sort of definitively had the stereotype of the nerd as the person with the glasses, mm-hmm. um, you know, who sort of was uncoordinated, certainly not wearing any fashionable clothes, and right, yeah. uh, sort of had his nose in a book on a regular basis. Right. That may have been the 50s stereotype, but that image of the bookworm as i guess it was probably called before then was is a classic one i mean it goes pretty much right back to well books <laughs> um and definitely to um let's see i can think of examples from like the victorian period okay. that kind yeah. of person existed i mean but i'm going to challenge you on this yeah that person what? existed but were they really considered to be social outcasts because i think you had to, we mm-hmm. got into this modern age where anti-intellectualization was the cool thing, right? That's true. Uh, where back, if you go back to Elizabethan era and stuff like that, it was pretty cool to be able to read. That's true. Right? Yeah. So so it, to sit there and say those people, you know, those were nerds, I don't know. Maybe nerds were a whole different thing um, if you want to talk about being social outcasts. That's true. There was a time when people who could read and write were scribes and they were poets and they were other valued members of society. Right, right. Especially valued. Now, you you might argue that maybe an accountant at the time might have been a, more of a nerdly person because they weren't doing anything of worth, as people would say, right? They were just moving right. numbers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But somebody who was making books – remember, this is a time where that was the entertainment, right? People being able to recite yeah. poetry, people being able to do dramatic stuff and books. The stuff that we relegate to nerds nowadays um, was the stuff that people desperately needed – sort of as a way to escape from where they were back then. That's true. You know, I'm thinking, like, uh, from what you guys have both brought up, um, there is some kind of shift between, um, maybe not nerd specifically, but that niche in society. Because if you do go back to to Victorian era, uh, even just immediately uh, pre-World War II, you had the idea of the intellectual, but there was the 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 bad intellectual hmm. which we'd consider the uh the counterculture type which is where um you had say the anarchists mm-hmm. uh the you had um they used to call them long hairs mm-hmm. where the what well, that was starting around the the 20 1920s that being the idea of like the philosopher who sits around intellectualizing without really contributing to society and that kind of uh, ferments ideas opposed to society. Hmm. Wow. You know what I was thinking? Um, there are you know, people that you could say throughout history uh, were considered to be – we would consider nowadays, looking back, maybe nerds. So mm-hmm. somebody like um, uh, Oscar Wilde. That's true. Right. Oscar Wilde would be like we would if he came today, he would be like a classic nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because again, he was this sort of uh, counterculture to a certain degree. Um, you, you, a lot of people couldn't handle him, right? Uh, I thought Oscar Wilde was more of like the classic um, flamboyant homosexual stereotype, and I think that that's there's a key there. I think that again, yeah. nerd is a social outcast, right? 
So this mm-hmm. was this part of this social outcast of the time. Right. So yeah. maybe, you know, maybe there is that intrinsic aspect of things that are outside of what is the norm of society and yeah. including intellectuals and dreamers and stuff like that. You you can't just be outside of it and being a dunderheaded sports person or something. No, no, you right. have to be somebody who's knowledgeable and and maybe a little dangerous that way. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. issue is that people they want to keep these people down because they know stuff. Ooh. Nerds yeah, are dangerous. I think, well, I, th- I think that's uh that sometime approaching um the 50s or the 60s, I think is where you had that shift that yeah, the uh the the idea of 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 the nerd of the unrestrained intellectual hmm. like that's that's where it comes from and they were dangerous and the irony being when you got to say 40s and the 50s knowing things was good but it had to be the right thing so you could hmm. be a, a an atomic scientist and those were the the men driving the future it's transistors and atomic energy but if you were like a philosopher, you were dangerous because like he's talking about those weird foreign sounding writers and it, it, isn't this guy a communist? And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, there, even, it's even more dangerous than that because the mm-hmm. nerd the nerd has the possibility of stealing your women. <laughs> and the reason we know that is the nutty professor. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Jerry Lewis made a living yep. off of being the nerd that turns around and becomes the the suave guy, which makes mm-hmm. him so dangerous to people, right? Mm-hmm. Right. In that situation. <laughs> so you got to keep those nerds down because... <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to come and steal our women. They're going to steal your women. That's... Oh, my God. We're on to something here. Because the nutty... I know the nutty <laughs> professor came out in 63. So that's still mm-hmm. in the earlier stages of, oh, my God, be careful mm-hmm. of the nerd. They're dangerous. Right. That that, that kind of went right up on uh, probably until the the nineties, because you think about that. That was um, like every wacky teen comedies from Animal House on. Mm-hmm. That was the basic premise. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, even nerds. The the you know the the big one uh, that was kind of like Animal House, right? The the mm-hmm. Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. It, it it hung on the fact that they had all kinds of skills and just yeah. lack the confidence. So that's where the you know that's where you got to keep the you got to keep the nerds' confidence down because if they <laughs> if they if they organize, you're in real trouble. But mm-hmm. you're right. Even in the like the Nutty Professor sequel came out in ninety ninety six too. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, all the way up into the nineties, you've got this this keep this this idea of we got to keep a lid on these nerds. And then what? What happened? They mm-hmm. they burst out. Yep, yeah, they took they over out. the world. They got loose. And that's well, I, I, Bill Gates, right? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think where uh, where the the turning point came in the nerds one was in the nineties when Trekkies became Trekkers, right? Okay, because I think what ended up happening was um, Trekkies were generally looked down upon by society and other countercultures. Until the 90s, and I think what the shift was, was a lot of the, um, the 90s is when you started, really started the era of the remake, the era of the reboot, bringing Mm -hmm. stuff back, 
And the big companies realized if you could cultivate Trekkies of your own, you had a built-in, ready-to-go audience. Yeah. Mm. But that already kind of existed with Star Wars, though. Star Wars created that. The the idea of the absolute ardent uh, science fiction fan. I mean, fans existed before Star Wars, of course. Right. But actually, we should probably take a step back here. So... We know that the very first science fiction convention we talked about in a previous show were back in the 1930s, I believe it was, or late 20s. There right. were actual early proto-science fiction conventions where people who today we would probably call nerds mm-hmm. gathered together and they engaged in fandom. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. I think Jack was even on that episode that we, yes. where we talked about that. And I was yeah. shocked because you were telling me about this, the, the schmoo, or no, it wasn't the Mr. Skygack. Sky Sky oh, yeah. <laughs> That was the that was a very bleak and uh, surreal moment when I look that one up. That right. was yeah, yep. crazy. Mr. Skygack. Yep. But All but right, these so... but these were very very much on the fringes. Most people. That's yeah. true. I'm I'm a nerd and I didn't hear of that until you guys talked about it. Oh yeah, because that's even by nerd standards that's super esoteric <laughs> stuff. Absolutely. And yeah. then of course we went into the. We went to the 40s. Now, here's an interesting question. How do you think that World War II, because let's be a little more chronological, how do you think World War II changed nerddom? Like, what effect did World War II have on being a nerd? Because they, they did exist huh. before that time. Not maybe yeah. called that, but they were bookworms or whatever, but they existed. Did I tell, they, you, did I tell you my sister's theory about um, World War II and, and uh, the men leaving to go to war? No, go ahead. Uh, and I think she's got something really strong here. And I think World War II led into um, the 60s in this way mm-hmm. that my dad, for example, his father, my grandfather, had gone to World mm-hmm. War II, um, volunteered because he's in Canada and they weren't you – know, uh, There was no draft. There was no draft. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to say subscripted, but it's not that. Conscripted. Uh, <laughs> Conscripted. There you go. It's it's one of those prefixes. Mm-hmm. So he was conscripted. Um, or he wasn't conscripted. He he went on his own. Um, and so my father, for the the formative years of his life, the you know up to about eight or nine, he was he was brought up by my grandmother. So he was mm-hmm. brought up with uh, different values, and so he was given a longer license to be a kid, and he mm-hmm. got a chance to see women in equal roles. So okay. suddenly when my fa- my grandfather came back, you couldn't put that genie back in the bottle because my grandmother was working full time. She used to be a house uh a housewife before that. She stayed at home doing all that stuff, but for my father's early years, she worked constantly and did all these other things. So he got to see, you know, great equalization going on, and that's mm-hmm. what sort of drives Everything from Star Trek to nerddom to all those kind of ideas of, um, yeah, we can do this and we don't have to have these prescribed roles that, son, as soon as you hit this age, go out and get a job like me and work yourself to death at 12. And you know what I mean? You will be the lord Hmm. of your own manor and all that kind Hmm. of thing that we had in the past. That all changed. Yeah. Interesting. Makes sense. Also, the... uh... The idea, too, that like the uh, post-war economy in North America gave everybody, there was more money. So there was more, uh, you had more freedom and people had the liquid cash to spend on dumb shit. Yep. Mm, there's that, too. And more recreational time. Yeah. Yep. 
That's a big one. To figure out dumb shit. <laughs> like what they want to do with their life. Oh my god, I think I just yeah. swore the first time in in my podcasting <laughs> career on the air. That's Feels okay. so dirty. <laughs> All right. There's no stopping them now. Gonna have to bleep that out. You start start throwing out. Jesus know. fucking Christ, Jack! Get it together. <laughs> All those Saxon words. <laughs> this isn't Greg Taylor's Dakota Room Theater, dude. You can swear. It's okay. There you go. I I I, I have an image, and it's vastly shattering. So, so yeah, but that's, I mean, and then we get into World War, uh, then we get into the 50s, right? So World War II, yeah. you have these kids that are brought up by parents, uh, uh, that are brought up by women, generally, mm-hmm. and so then you see this breakout of that kind of roles. You have a ton of cash coming in in the post-war mm-hmm. economy that creates mm-hmm. this this idyllic time which is george lucas's favorite time of the world in the Mm -hmm. 50s where everybody is drag racing wearing leather jackets uh chatting up girls and and obviously dreaming because i mean he created star wars right right so so the 50s creates all that and maybe that's when nerds start sticking out because it's the 50s when people start using that phrase maybe that's when all these dreamers start sticking out in in society and people are going who are these you know these people who keep their nose in books and and they they, they mm. come up with every kind of euphemism to call them it's never just nerd right there's a there's a mm, ton yeah. of different one, words for them you mm-hmm. know poindexter is always one of my favorites <laughs> yeah i like that one too yeah. <laughs> i can i can totally see that yeah i can totally see that i think also in the 50s we have the whole science thing remember that's the point where science becomes everything science is power at that point yeah. yeah. And because of the atomic bomb and the space program and everything. So suddenly we have this idea that the people who, going back to what you were saying earlier, the people who understand science and the people who are focused on science are powerful. Right. Right. I think there's, I think there's a catch, though. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think you guys are right, but something weird happens. Because I think the 50s is where you get what we'd consider the what well, have to say the the past modern nerd because that's changed recently mm. but if you remember what the poindexters there was one underlying thing that started in the 50s is the poindexters were always the law and order types mm, true like it, it wasn't just that you always had your head in the book but you were there to kind of like you were the one who would tell teacher when when people get out of turn and you didn't want to like go investigate the old creepy house because we're not supposed to go in there and what if the cops catch us and that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wasn't it, yeah? Isn't that Waldo or it was wasn't that his name is Waldo? No, it wasn't Waldo. It was something like that from the Little Rascals, the R Gang kid. Remember, oh, there was a really yeah. smart Poindexter kid there. His yes, name was there like. Is. Waldo or something like that and, and he was and, always oh. chasing Darla. I can't remember. Yeah, he was always chasing Darla and he was always just a, the worst snob, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's because he's a nerd and and they're and you know that they didn't want he was smarter. He was too smart for his own good, right? That yeah. was the yeah. whole the whole thing that they had. And 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 again, that was the old idea of the nerd. You you got to keep those mm. guys down because they'll get uppity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Well, okay, so we got the 50s, and we've got um, Science is King, and we've got the, the rise of the uh, nerd culture. We started to see it there. Uh, we got the science fiction pulp magazines. we got amazing stories. we got all that stuff going on. And so then in the 60s, we get 
nerdly television, of course, because at the beginning of the 60s, we get Star Trek. Yeah. Now, of course, there was already some idea of, like, weird people and uh, weird kids and stuff. I mean, the Munsters already existed. The Adams Family already existed. Although, yeah. you know, it's, I've always thought it was interesting that neither the Munsters nor the Adams Family have a nerd character. I'll tell you where the big nerd character comes in that area, though. Where? Mm-hmm. 1964. Okay. Gilligan's Island. Who's the nerd? Professor. professor. Yeah. yeah. He's he's the ultimate nerd though, right? He's not yeah. he's not the nerd that nobody wants to be around unless he starts talking sciencey stuff. Mm-hmm. Generally though, he's he's well respected and he's the guy who's got the the all the answers that they need. Mm-hmm. I mean, he makes a yeah. radio out of coconuts for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a couple of rubber bands. But he can't fix a 1-foot hole in a boat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, they had the boat on the shore for a while, and then it's it's no longer there. It just sort of like, yeah. what, they set it on fire or something? So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but no, that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, almost, you know, you're this is where you're starting to see the difference, right? Because yeah. in the 50s, you get, like you said, you got these B-science uh, flicks of, you know, mad scientists and, and aliens and all this kind of stuff. But it brings forth opportunities. And that's, again... When you start seeing even space shows like um, the, uh, in the 50s and stuff like that, you've got these ideas of, of kids' space shows of going to the moon and all those kinds of things. Tom these Corbett, I- space Tom cadet. Tom Corbett, yeah. space cadet, right? All that kind of stuff. So by the time we get to the 60s, we've, we've got, well, wait a minute. Then we need to have that science hero. Yeah, yeah that's well, true. Although it's interesting because the professor in a lot of ways is a parody of mm-hmm. the, the, yes. the scientists from the 50s. Because the 50s, you had the guys who were like the atomic energy expert, which could be used to diagnose what's turning this guy into an alien for some reason. But they were also like the two-fisted adventurers. And they were all like retired fighter pilots. And they mm-hmm. wouldn't just like like find the way to stop the monster. They'd go out and like punch it in the face and then get the girl in the end. The Doc, Doc Savage Doc model. Savage guy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah, Doc Savage, who, of course, was a super scientist and a yeah, martial artist and everything else under the sun. And <laughs> yep. everything. Yep. He's, he's, he's kind of like the Superman in his group. You know, you think, why does he need all these operatives? <laughs> this is like Pretty Justice much. League. Doc Savage is like the Superman of Justice League. That, you know what I mean? Like, why do you, you got Superman? You don't need a league. You got everybody there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moral support. Moral support. That's <laughs> right. I'm so glad you showed up, Aquaman. Keep looking at that monitor for me, okay? Aw, <laughs> oh, jeez. Not again. Poor Aquaman. Yeah, and it's not a monitor, it's an aquarium. And they're just playing games with him the whole time. It's right. so sad. <laughs> What about, what, what about Japan at this time? What about Japan at this time? Because they they keep talking about like I was listening to this really cool podcast called the Department mm-hmm. of Nerdly mm-hmm. Affairs, and they were talking about Ultraman, <laughs> and I was still waiting to hear which series of Ultraman I should listen to. But anyway, and uh, they were they were saying that there's like super scientists there that are involved yes. in creating Ultraman. I think that's a theme in, in even in Japan. So in other cultures, this aspect. Oh yeah, of they definitely science. had that. But theirs is a little bit different because they, unlike America, don't have that anti-intellectual streak. So in Japan at this time, the smart guy is still highly valued. Nice. Like they don't have that. They don't have that aspect where you're the one with your nose in the book all the time. Therefore, for whatever reason, you are now like lesser or unworthy just because you're into weird stuff. 
They didn't have that back then. They would develop it later. We can talk about that later. But at the time, they didn't. Interesting. Yeah. So did they did they grab onto the the idea of the nerd from North American shows, and that's what developed it? I don't think so. Um, in Japan, the bookworm nerd aspect came more from the uh, the otaku culture, which is the culture of basically shutting yourself away and focusing your entire life on whatever that thing is that you're focusing your entire life on. Okay. Like they're what we would call obsessive nerds. Okay, so right. for example, in Japan, if you're a nerd, that usually means you're you have one area where you are like the absolute master of your domain, but it's right. something like really, really obsessive, like collecting um, toys from uh, pinball machines or something like that. Right, it's like mm. super detailed nerd. They're they're like obsessive nerds. That's where their yeah. nerd idea comes from. You know, you've, you've got every single character from this anime. You've got all the dolls of them or something like that. And you know everything about them and probably write little stories about them and whatever else. That's the Japanese nerd. Traditionally, actually, the Japanese nerd. Yeah, actually, the best way to explain it would be uh, we have fanboys here. Japan has otaku. A fanboy is somebody who's like read every issue of the X-Men, memorized every detail and will totally get in your face if you dare say that Cyclops could beat Wolverine in a fight. Whereas an otaku will have every issue of the X-Men wrapped in a plastic bag that they've never read because it has nothing to do with like enjoying it. They're just obsessively amassing anything that ever had the X-Men in it. Oh, the yes. Simpsons collector. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's You've pretty taken much it. it out of its package. It's lost <laughs> its value. Exactly. Yeah. Got yeah, it. That, Got it. Yep. I mean, we've got them here too, but yeah, but the, Japan has lots of them. You like, could argue that we didn't really develop those as as widespread in comics until like the '90s, when we had all the all you know the 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 McFarland day, days, right? Where mm, people were really yeah. collecting the artwork and not even reading the comics or buying three of them, reading one and keeping two, you know, in their in their little bags. Yeah. Well, we we had so, the seeds of that in the '80s. Right. Well, okay, let's let's yeah. go back in time, semi-chronological again. So something else that <laughs> happened in the 60s that I don't think we've talked about yet, I know we haven't, is mm. um, the idea of zines. Yeah. Zine culture also started to pop up in the 60s. Did it where, really? Yeah, yeah. where okay. what happened is we had photocopiers for the first time. So people started making their own little like small press magazines, which in some ways functioned as the first blogs. Because mm. you basically wrote these little magazines that were sometimes just a couple pages. You photocopied maybe 20 of them, and then you shared them with your friends or other zine writers and such. This was kind of a counterculture thing. Yeah. So did this start in San Francisco with sort of like the, the comics and the Freak Brothers and all that kind of stuff, and then sort of move across the country? Or where did zines get their start? I get, It goes back a little farther because um, hmm. the zines weren't always um, – they weren't always like comics. Um they were yeah, if you if you remember the 70s and the 80s we we had what they'd call trade mags right and the zines were kind of like uh indie culture counterculture versions of that sure right and the thing about the zines is is they started letting counterculture intellectuals in other words nerds but other groups as well on campuses and such communicate with each other 
Yeah. Like they, they would actually, you could actually like mail to get zines. Like there were actual magazines that existed that were just, here's lists of prices you can write and they'll send you a zine if you send them like postage. Yeah. And so they started like trading these zines back and forth. And this is important because it was the zine writers, it was the zine culture that would actually lead the revolution to bring back Star Trek after it got canceled. Well, I was mm-hmm. going to say, are they the first ones who created like the, the fan, fan stories? That's exactly right. The very yeah. first fan fiction were zine fiction. Yeah. Right. Yep. At least the first fan fiction, true fan fiction we know. There was, there was what you could call semi-fan fiction, which was fan fiction with the names filed off. That you know mm-hmm. that happened in magazines even back in the 30s and 40s. Um, and rip-offs. There and were rip-off. rip-offs. We call them rip-offs, <laughs> actually, if you want to call it. But in terms of true people you know, writing stories about uh, Kirk and Spock being lovers, that's from the, like, the zines. That's the uh, zine culture. Those make me angry. Those slash, those slash, <laughs> slash fictions. But yeah, that, that, that brings up the rage. Apparently, 1940 was the first science fiction fanzine. Okay. okay. Did you know that? I didn't. No, I didn't. That. That's very cool. No, and and the thing is, they even some of those fan stories ended up in collections in books because I have like strange. I think it's called strange or new voyages. Mm-hmm. Voyages, new voyages one and new voyages two, and they're like Susan Stackhouse collecting people's shorts right. of of uh, Star Trek, which are effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, fan tales, right? You know yeah, they're I mean? fan yeah. fiction, yeah. They're fan fiction that they put together and actually, you know, because they were written beforehand and then they were and then they were decided which ones would be the best for this collection, this anthology collection of uh, stories. Yes. And then mm. I guess they, they started doing those in magazines, like actual magazines, and that's what sort of, you think that's what drove the desire to have Star Trek back? But was, that was part of the um It wasn't just movement. the reruns? Well, I mean, people wanted, yeah, people were being inspired by the reruns. I mean, there were many things. It wasn't just that. But I've always read that the zine culture helped to keep Star Trek alive and helped to promote it at a time when there wasn't any Star Trek on the air. Here, just like the those YouTube video productions of new Star Trek episodes they've been doing for the last 10 years since Enterprise went off the air. Yep. Right. Un, un, except for except for now they're going to be killed by yes yeah they're officially can't do those anymore but the thing is they're serving that exact same purpose think about it it was people writing new trek stories when they didn't have track yeah well they did the same thing for doctor who though too he, so my, here's my question did they did they do the same thing for doctor who before they started doing them for star trek or, no because doctor who was still on the air then yes yeah. doctor who was on the air but star trek wasn't star trek wasn't yeah that's right so yeah. yeah, the answer is is that, I mean, I'm sure there were, as you said, other science fiction zines, but the the Trek zine culture was very important. It was very important to nerdliness in the sense that it was the nerd community kind of banding together. Yeah, well, I remember. With a single I, I remember in the early '80s being involved in like a newsletter, which basically was a zine, which was mm-hmm. a Star Trek uh, newsletter, uh, mm-hmm. and and they gave all the people who wanted to do. You know, like I wrote it. I wrote an article into it and stuff like that. So they gave me my honorary captainship. You know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> That's Captain cool. Ward writes from from the arm armrest of Captain Ward, right? You know, right. So, That's cool. <laughs> I think it was the USS Pearson because the person who created it, she said we should it should really be called Pearson because Pearson created our our Prime Minister Pearson created the whole aspect of peacekeepers, and she saw that as sort of a um, a, a forerunner to mm, the yeah. whole idea of Star Trek and the Federation, which is cool. I mean, I that think is. she's got, she's right there. So 
Yeah, definitely. That, wasn't that um like the late seventies? Didn't they start doing that? That the fan clubs would were were uh, each because I remember stuff about that. Each fan club was considered a ship. Yep. that's right. Exactly. And yeah, I was part of I one of those. And yeah, wow. you were each crew members to a ship. Yeah. Yep. I do remember that. Yeah. Yep. So and I and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was too either too young or too nerdly to be involved in that. But you know, neither here nor there. Or not nerdly enough. <laughs> not nerdly enough. <laughs> there you go. Actually, I would probably fall under the not nerdly enough category because at that time in my life, I was a little bit busy romping through the forest and hills of uh, southern Ontario, catching everything that I could possibly get my mitts on and mm-hmm. um, taking them home to keep as pets. And then make them fight <laughs> other people And now you do the same them. thing with Pokemon Go. <laughs> That's why Pokemon <laughs> Go doesn't impress me that much. I did it for real. There you go. <laughs> Rattlesnake, I choose you. <coughs> Wait, maybe not. <laughs> I did find a rattlesnake once, actually. That really did happen. I did not really? catch it, however. Well, I was smart enough idea. not to. I was going to say, and then the nerds died out sometime in the late 70s <laughs> with the great rattlesnake roundup. <laughs> actually, did you hear that thing on Mysterious Universe, Jack, about the, the snake theory of human evolution? Yes. That, that was pretty bizarre. cool. That is very cool and bizarre and strange, but very cool. I was going to mention something like that, but I didn't want to didn't want to muffle too much out of what we're doing. Yeah, that's but true. I um, love that show. That show has yeah. got so many cool things in it. Yep, mysterious mm-hmm. universe, folks. If you haven't listened yeah. to it, you should. Yep. Yeah. Um, so many of my radio traumas <laughs> have come from a kernel of a weird story that they come up with. It's so. a great source if you're a writer too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. By the way, what we're talking about is the idea that humans evolved uh, larger brains because we needed better vision because we were being hunted by, among other things, snakes. That's huh. right. And, and then I I learned the difference between venomous and poisonous in that episode. I did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I did not know the difference. It is an educational show. That's right. <laughs> Venomous, for those people who want to know, are it has to be something that's uh, active, aggressive. So something that bites you and sticks poison in your is venomous. Mm-hmm. But if you take something that's that's poisonous and passively, you know, die from it, uh, that's considered to be poisonous. So if you are poisoned, it they will tell you it's venomous poison as opposed to poisonous poison. Hmm based upon those things so it's interesting yep and jack and i are both teacher nerds can you tell that's right yeah we're always learning there you go is that an aspect is that an aspect though of of nerds is that you're you're always fascinated by learning is that one of those elements Hmm. you know what interesting question i think you're kind of right i don't know if it's exactly learning i think that comes and goes but i think it's that idea because this is a sticking point for me. I think it's that idea that you can see value in something that's entirely intellectual or entirely mm. subjective or entirely imagined that doesn't immediately directly relate to your life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's the whole Carl Sagan like let's let's go on a, you know, a thought experiment. I do that mm-hmm. on a regular basis, and, and I'll say, well, what if this? And people look at me, but that's not the way it is. Yeah. And my first thought is, man, you're not a nerd, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you, can, you can go down these avenues, and, and it's okay because yeah. it's just an idea, 
right? Mm. Yeah. So, and it's it's fun. And yeah, I think you're right in that respect that there's there's certainly an element of being able to disassociate. Maybe it's because you're the outsider. Maybe it's because, you know, you're not socially adept in the same way. You don't feel nearly as uncomfortable by walking down those those strange hallways of mm-hmm. other thoughts, of other ways of looking at things. Mm. Yeah. That's a good Which way is- to put it. It's interesting, too, because uh, did you ever see the uh, documentary Metal, A Headbanger's Journey? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but it sounds awesome. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. And during the interview with, uh, they interviewed Rob Zombie, and he talked about something like that. Mm-hmm. Because he said that that was one of the things that, that a lot of metal fans, especially back in the day, were considered the outcasts. And he talked about how... You don't kind of decide to be that kid. It's just you develop an interest in things that other people aren't interested in. And now all of a sudden they kind of, you become the weird kid because of it. Right. Right. And, and again, you, with, you know, with something like metal, which I never got into, but I recognized there's a lot of really interesting creativity goes mm-hmm. on there and a lot of sort of ancillary, like, history, occult, all, all mm. kinds of stuff that you can look at from a completely, like, fun way. Right. Not like, you know, you're becoming, like, a witch or something. And it's in the same way as you would wa- read it in D&D, mm, you know, yeah. and go, that's really kind of cool. I didn't know about <laughs> that. Or listen to, you know, listen to these lyrics. They sound really awesome, right? Mm. So, yeah. And then some people would go, oh, my God. <laughs> they're, say, they're saying bad words when I play this record backwards. <laughs> well, I, I, and here's my part where I, I don't like metal because I'll say listening to metal reminds me of when my father and I used to cut wood with chainsaws. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that I, it's that kind of distortion stuff that just sticks in my head. It, it depends on the type of metal, but okay, I can see your point. I, I, every me, every metal group has their acoustic song, and I mm-hmm. think that is like, oh my god, the best song ever. And then I listen to their metal <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, why didn't I just listen to the acoustic stuff? But that's because I love acoustic stuff. So anyway, yeah, let's move back to where we were. So, okay, so we've... We're in the 70s now, and nerd culture has become um, not exactly mainstream, but organized. I think this is interesting because I think Star Wars started something that they didn't know how to get a handle on. Okay. And I think we, I think we got like this is where nerd culture like takes a leap forward, and they go, "Wow, that was lightning in a bottle. How do I do it?" And they had a lot of sort of fits and starts of a lot of different shows that they tried to be able to do, which was Star Wars like, and never yeah. worked, right? And so that's that's where they were sort of saying, "We got a whole group of people here who love this stuff." Mm. And we used to make fun of them, and now we don't know what to do, right? Yeah, so, right. So well, 70s was like that, that. That was when mainstream had angst about, like real angst about nerd culture. I would agree with that. Yeah. But I think it goes before Star Wars, though. Um, the mm. 70s was a whole decade of social change, remember, of many kinds. And people looking at the world in different ways. The baby boomers were, of course, now in their like, 20s and 30s. Uh, people were looking at stuff in different ways. There was a whole sci-fi and fantasy boom going on in the seventies, like in general culture before Star Wars even started. Well, I mean, give, like like what? Um, well, Tolkien. for example, 
Mm-hmm. Go down. Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien yeah. was. A, yeah, but was... I mean, I mean, in, in like you've, that's that's not general culture, right? Let's be honest. Tolkien wasn't general culture at the time. That was still nerd folks that were enjoying it. We're talking about Star Wars was the first thing that hit everybody. Yeah, I and think... blew everybody are down. We can go and take a look at stuff like you know, two thousand one, a space odyssey, and stuff like that. But that's kind of science fiction. It wasn't the same kind of like Flash Gordon thing that was for everybody. Yeah. Well, there was. I think what what was happening mm-hmm. is again the idea of uh, what we'd consider nerddom was becoming tied in with the counterculture. Because uh, I use the example of Tolkien, because when Tolkien came out, nobody cared. What mm-hmm. made Tolkien popular was Led Zeppelin. Okay. That Zeppelin started quoting Tolkien stuff and making references in their songs, and people were like, what is this stuff? And then it, they'd read, oh, the hobbits smoke up, that's awesome! <laughs> and, yeah. And then that led to uh, the late 60s, early 70s, you had kind of on the, uh, amongst the counterculture, you had this sword and sorcery boom like that was that was popular if you remember uh, marvel comics brought out conan and mm. conan was one of their biggest hits at the time but again isn't that that's still not mainstream is it it's 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 i would say it's not it's it's counterculture which at this point i would put between nerddom and 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 normal people Mm-hmm. And I think what happened, you're right about Star Wars, that Star Wars was uber nerdy, and everybody loved it, and what you had at that point is, it sort of, for the audience, became an excuse to be okay with nerdy things. Mm. That's okay. true. I can see. Well, I think 2001 Space Odyssey did that kind of too. It sort of did, but again, I think um, what ended up happening was, it it didn't do really well. In general, and I think because it was too highbrow for for uh, an average audience, mm, that's true. And apparently, it's interesting. Apparently, um, George Lucas, when he made the movie, he turned to somebody. I just heard an interview with this. He turned to somebody and said, "Oh my God, I've just made a movie that every kid's going to want to watch, and I wanted it to be for the adults." Yeah. Huh. But the thing and he was that, really hurt by that. So. George Lucas was trying to make a nostalgia picture about uh, Flash Gordon serials and those things that he grew up yeah. on right. for, for people his own age. Remember, Lucas, if you actually read about him, didn't really want to be a filmmaker. He mm-hmm. actually was being pushed into it by the people around him. Lucas's passion was editing. He was a film mm-hmm. editor. But mm-hmm. everyone thought he'd make a great filmmaker and they kept encouraging him to do so. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, uh, go read um, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. It's a book about that period, about that era. But and... it makes sense because he's he's so meticulous in all of his, like he has seven different, or had seven different companies mm-hmm. and yeah. just had to be on top of every little piece. And if you're going to be a film editor, that's what you have to be, is you, yeah. you yeah. know, you just have to be the most meticulous person around. Yep. Yeah, he wanted, He really just wanted to be a film editor, but everyone was, no, no, George, you got, you got it, you got to make movies. And so he made, what, THX 1138, and yeah. then they're like, oh my God, you got the gift, George, keep doing it. Because none of them actually understood THX 1138, but they all pretended to anyway. Um, and then he came out with American Graffiti. Then he came yeah. out with American Graffiti, and everyone's like, you got the gift, man. And then he's like, and then he wanted to do something fun, so he made Star Wars. Oops. 
And he kept and they kept saying that you got the gift, and then he did Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then he did Howard the Duck. And then everyone <laughs> said, George, go back to editing. Yeah, stop stop being stop making movies, George. Exactly. Exactly. Stop making Aww. movies, George. But I think it regardless, Star Wars is the point where nerd culture and mainstream culture collides. That part yeah. I will totally agree with you on. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I do agree too with the idea that it hit and nobody knew what to do with it and you can tell because if you look at any ads from from the time it came out they were selling star wars everything and Mm -hmm. you could tell they didn't know is this a kid show is this like a grown-up thing is this for teenagers and they were just Mm -hmm. peppering the market and the thing was everything they did like turned to gold except for c-3po's which were the most noxious thing humanity ever created (laughs) but didn't those come later they those came like around empire strikes back time or something later though they didn't i come think first. i think they were just before okay but you're right c3 feels were pretty were pretty noxious yeah <laughs> yes i can i can still like when i think of it feel that taste in the back of my mouth and it makes me want to heave a little bit yeah not the best breakfast cereal in the world <laughs> No. Is it just I didn't I didn't even know it was a breakfast cereal. There you go. No, I do remember really? it now. I never I never ate it because my mom always got us healthy stuff, right? Was like would mm. never have like sugary junk as she called it. But um, do you even remember like the first Star Wars trailer? It actually did not look nearly as exciting. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was entrancing, but it, it, but you didn't really know what the hell was going on. And and so even even the trailers were kind of confusing for people. I just don't think people got it, right? So well, I, th- I think you're kind of right, but I think that was part of the kick because it came out of nowhere. The the advertising was was fairly minimal. Like you say the the original ads, you just saw like here's a spaceship, here's a hairy monster thing. Look, laser swords. And it's like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what made it popular because everybody went into it cold and then you could get what you want out of it. Hmm. That's true. This is how big it was in my family. We were actually traveling across Canada because it came out in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were traveling across Canada and camping. And for the only time in my entire childhood, we actually all went to a movie theater. Well, we uh-huh. were in some other city somewhere. We didn't stay at the campsite. We went to the movie theater and we watched Star Wars. Mm. Huh. And the next day we're driving, and it was out west somewhere. And the next day we're driving, and my grandmother had come with us to camp. And I still remember my father just going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How could you fall asleep in Star Wars? <laughs> and he was like so excited and so upset. And my grandmother just smiled and shrugged her shoulders. She was like 65. It's like, yeah, it kind of bored me. But that's right. the thing it's like, it, it hit every barrier here's my yeah. father in his 40s at the time going oh my god this is amazing mm. yeah yep so 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 it had those it had that generation my father's generation on mm-hmm. connected yeah. yep well i think like again yeah and that was um i think that's the difficult for anybody who's younger that's mm-hmm. difficult to wrap their head around because we haven't seen that for a while and a great deal of anything that comes out since the 90s, it's always hyped to death. It's always mm-hmm. focus group to death. The closest we had was Harry Potter. And one other. I'll, I'll even give one other. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, like Lord of the Rings, yeah, mm-hmm. ha- Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and The Matrix. The Matrix was one of those things that came out of nowhere. That's true. Yeah. And, and really took everything by storm. Yep, that's true. 
I'm, but that was only the first one. <laughs> right. Well, the first, you mean there's others, Jack? I, I, no, I think that, not I, at all. That's a glitch in the Matrix, man. You, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, Although, I think Enter the Matrix, the animated ones, is that what it's called? The yeah. Animatrix. You see those? Yeah. The Animatrix, those were awesome. Those yeah, were some really of those well really, done. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those are better than the movies. Much better. Yeah. But that was the thing, too, though, that um, I don't know if I'd count the Matrix quite because... It was a technological revolution for film, yes. but it it didn't make a lasting impact. Like mm. it was, it was, it was. Po- mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with uh, with Avatar. That Avatar came out, and for two months, it was the biggest thing ever, and now it's gone. Right, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I would say that the, the you're right. The technical aspects of the Matrix, the whole spinning 360 degree camera shots. Yeah, has lasted longer than people's memory of the Matrix because there's whole generations of kids who've never seen the Matrix. Yes, yeah. mind you, there's whole generations of kids now um, who haven't seen the original Lord of the Rings. There's mm-hmm. that too. Yeah, you but, mean the uh, one that and, came out in the seventies? Uh, no, no, the the most recent one. Oh, okay. Yeah, like they they watched The Hobbit, but yeah. they hadn't seen Lord of the Rings, right? Kind of hmm. thing. So. Mind yep. you, they hadn't seen Star Wars either. It drives me crazy. So, like, yeah. that's what I do. And that's the thing is I have – there's like this new generation mm-hmm. are so specialized, mm-hmm. right? We've, we've fractured down to that specialized thing now. It's like I play video games. I don't do that. Well, there's, there's a catch with that too though. Um, the thing is Star Wars was such a revolutionary film, um, mm-hmm. even from a technical point of view. And mm-hmm. it was ripped off so much that – if a 20-something watched it nowadays, it wouldn't be a big deal because they've seen everything in that movie a hundred thousand times just because yeah, that's it's the standard. Normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but I watched Citizen Kane and I can appreciate it for what it did, right? Yeah. Because I can 16. go... No, but I mean, at 16, I would have. But I, at 23, I would have. At 23, I was, I was taking film courses and I was going, holy crap, mm-hmm. this Maltese Falcon thing is incredible. Yep, but that's see, true. that's that's the catch, though, is you you were somebody who was conscientious of what goes on behind a film, and that was important to you, whereas the average person doesn't give a shit. They want to see tits, a car crash, and an explosion. And, mm. But this is my point, is that I don't think that's – I think the average person is, is different today than what they were in that respect because we've had this glut of yeah. geeky stuff, and so they can't possibly experience – all this stuff because they're getting it all the time, right? Mm. They're getting mm. shows all the time. So all they ha- can do is is get their niche and go. I don't want. I don't want to be a generalist in any of this stuff. I just like this because yeah. I've had. It's like the fact that we love so much science fiction. You know why? Because we had three freaking networks to watch, <laughs> <laughs> and they have four thousand. So they don't even know or even care what they missed. Right. They. W- why should they? Exactly. Well, I think you've kind of hit upon a, a couple of things that I would say started in the 90s and have come up to now. Because what, what especially our generation would consider nerd culture is mainstream. Mm. And I think you do see, um, for a lot of the, the general audience, it kind of just comes, like I said, like Avatar. They watched it. It was cool. It's gone because there's so much of it. It doesn't stand out. And I think you're seeing it in the other hand that you get the the diehard super fans that 
super specialized. And that's why you'll get, like, um, when Superman in the comics a couple years ago decided to wear his panties underneath his tights, you had, like, this huge wave of nerd rage about, Oh my god, you've raped my childhood! Ah!" Because the hardcore fans, part, part of nerddom is being the outsider, and part of it is lauding in being the outsider. So if you mm. want to be the outsider now, you really got to work at it. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So <laughs> there, there is that. Yes. But yeah, let's, so, let's, I think that's right about the nineties. Let's go back to the eighties. Yeah, Cause I want, I want to argue because you were done the seventies. And I think the eighties, I want to argue was the golden age of nerddom. I okay. would agree with that. And I would also say that nerddom came into popular culture in multiple ways. Cause not only did we have Star Wars, but we had Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yep. Dungeons and Dragons came into uh, the popular culture not too long after Star Wars, and mm-hmm. it was a popular game. Like it was a game that almost everyone played, or at least everyone knew someone who had played. It yeah. became a huge thing. Yet it's an extremely nerdy game. It's a, yep. another example of nerd culture intersecting with mainstream culture although at the time it was main more mainstream than it was nerd culture well there, yep. there was a catch with that too mm. because in the early 80s when we found out it was evil and satanic mm. D was hardcore counterculture that's true and and it was weird and mysterious and people were afraid but by the late 80s it had made that shift into what we would now consider uh, more straight up nerdliness because it wasn't scary anymore. It was what like those like super geeky dateless wonders did Friday night instead of getting laid. Mm. Not to mention there was just so many other games. I think by the virtue of just sort of uh, dilution, you know. Yeah. So so you call D and D satanic? Fine. What about Space eighteen eighty nine? Uh huh. What about Traveler? Car Wars is demonic now too. Because you can't you can't go there, right? Once yeah. you start moving out of that kind of arcane throwing spells, but you play superheroes. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you've been pl- you've been watching you've been watching superhero co- uh, cartoons and and reading comics for you know since you're you were a kid, and now your kid's playing a game where he's a superhero, and you're going to call that demon. So I mean, after a while, mm-hmm. that had to sort of slowly dilute the whole. You know, bad or bothered? Was it bad? Bothered about oh, Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons? B A D D. Wasn't that a great little uh, uh, <laughs> episode yep. I sent you guys? Yes, good yeah, old, it was. Good old fashioned CBC ideas. Yeah, that was great. And that was, <laughs> and that was another one too that kind of illustrated one of the uh, the long running things because I remember the the CBC uh, story you sent. It talks about it, and this was at the the, the beginning of, of the 80s, and it was funny that you had all of the proponents for gaming. They were all older mm-hmm. people. They were all, like, 30. They were, they were like, mature. Um, there was, there was a, a good, like, healthy male-female mix with the people that they were interviewing and the participants and the stories. Whereas when you'd get to the people that they were interviewing that were critiquing it, the argument was always the same. But the kids who aren't... Yeah. Who, they're not really part of this. But the children who aren't really part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And 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 that's when, like I said, in the 80s is when we you get um, return, uh, uh, the return of Star Trek movies that were mm-hmm. awesome. 
You get <laughs> more Indiana Jones movies that were awesome. Yeah. You get um, a whole bunch of a variety of really interesting sort of speculative fin- fiction that came out, like Groundhog's Day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And movies that you just uh, – now you can say for the most part there's a few of them that come out now, but those have been abandoned because they're too, they're too um, risky for Hollywood to do now. It's better to throw something out that they knew was really popular and rebranded and rebooted Mm -hmm. than to try something like Groundhog's Day, which was out of nowhere. Or or War of the Roses, which is one of the like the darkest comedies. (laughs) Right. That I don't think they could ever come out with in a big way like they did back then. Yeah. Well they they could and one day they will, because if you remember Mm -hmm. the eighties, one of the reasons you had them taking so many chances was just because um, they didn't know what the next big thing was, and when you had the home video boom in the early '80s, um, they needed filler because you, you mm-hmm. wanted to, to sell and rent tapes. So that's when you got all like the direct-to-video B movies. But a lot of that stuff took off, and the big companies were like, "Well, they're watching these like cheesy-ass slasher flicks and post-apocalypse barbarian movies, and these things are doing well. So let's do John that." John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. That's his big decade too, right? John Carpenter movies in the in the eighties, yeah, all effectively B flicks. But I mean, there's tons of stuff too, right? Like Gremlins and Spielberg yeah. takes off with E. T. Close Encounters, although Close Encounters I think is late seventies, but eight, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, E. T. and all those other kind of things. This is like when imaginations and geeks are on like the absolute rise, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though they don't understand this, this is where they really have made that intersection clear. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of when nerds start to take over mainstream culture. Is yeah, the I can see that. There's no question on that. But there are still nerds, though. There's still that divide, right? I mean, that's yeah. why we get movies like Revenge of the Nerds and such, which we referred to earlier. I mean. There is still that divide of jocks and nerds and, you know, the intellectuals are still bad and icky somehow. Yeah. I mean, that idea is still there. And nerd culture is still nerd culture. It's still weird and other. And it's something that cool kids and, you know, proper people don't participate in. Yeah, but I... Well, that... But I think by... Sorry, I didn't oh, interrupt, Don. That's okay. Go uh, ahead. Very quickly. Uh, very quickly, I was going to say, I think that's when you start to hear parents go, um, well, because this is when you get Bill Gates, right? And stuff like that. It's like, well, that'll be, be careful. The 90s. Of, well, okay, the late 80s, early 90s, yeah, right? Right. So where you start late 80s, early 90s is when you start getting parents go, be careful. Don't diss that nerd too much. Because one day he mm-hmm. could be worth a lot of money, and he could be could really, be really popular, right? Yeah. He could be your boss. He could be marrying material, or she could be marrying material. You know, that's so. true. That's very well, true. We, I, we say he a lot because honestly, for the first part, most mostly men were the ones that were defined as nerds. Let, let's be honest. I mean, nerddom for most of history. Now, obviously, there were female nerds. But they mm-hmm. were never really looked down as nerds. They were just like, uh, like what, you know, librarian types or something. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they they didn't look down on them, basically, the way they looked down on male nerds. I mean... Yeah, but I think you know where that comes from. Well, when they take off their glasses, they're really hot and sexy? <laughs> no, but you know where why most nerds were, were male? Why? I'm, I'm pretty sure that what happened was when you had the 50s, the, the, the Poindexter type that we'd identify as a nerd started coming about. Mm-hmm. Remember that it was always males that were prime movers. That's true. So in mm-hmm. 
because there were plenty of like real life female nerds and people creating nerdly arts who were female going all the way back, but they would kind of be poo pooed and dismissed because, um, since guys were the, uh, the main, main actors, the main motivators, females were sidekicks. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you also had the idea that I think being taken out of that formula as a poindexter became sort of like a de facto boys club because it was you were no longer the the prime motivator you weren't part of the the thing you had to sort of find your own niche outside of society okay whereas again for a female at least with with stereotypical thinking for for the time you could always just attach yourself to a guy yeah that's true so a girl you could be a bookworm but when it came time for Mary and you'd put all that aside and marry some guy and have 2.5 kids. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the, the ultimate, a, yeah, I was going to say the ultimate destination for women was, was to get married. Yep. Yeah. And as a yep. guy, if, if you weren't part of, of, of that template, you were sort of on your own. So yeah. that's why the image of the nerd, I think is typically a guy, even though that's not necessarily representative of any point in, in history. Right, that's true. Also, there's another aspect to the whole thing, which is that for a lot of males, especially males who didn't fit in, like outcasts and such, like being a nerd was a refuge. Like mm. it, it was a culture, it was a society, it was a way of thinking, whatever you want to call it, that let you escape from social pressures like, you know, getting a job, getting married, girls, that kind of thing. In fact, mm. I would argue that throughout most of throughout history, a great many nerds have not really understood women and have maybe even been afraid of them. Mm. Um, this is part of the reason why there is a bit of a anti-female slant in a lot of traditional science fiction is because I'd say a lot of the science fiction writer nerd types didn't really understand women at all. And in fact, this nerd culture was their refuge. Same yeah. for comic book nerds, for example. And I think this is important to bring up because later on when um, women in modern times start attacking comics and novels as misogynist and all that, as sexist, there's a lack of understanding of why they're that way. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, that that's also where some of the pushback is coming from. But we can talk about yeah. that when we get a little more modern. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay, so we've got the 80s, which is the golden time of nerd. What happens to nerds in the 90s? Now, well, um, we have I, the computer and internet revolution, but go. Oh, I was going to say, I think you can go back a little farther mm-hmm. because, again, I still believe that we just lived the same two decades over and over and over. Um, I think one of the reasons you had the nerd boom in the 80s was because in the 70s, Star Wars made it okay to, mm-hmm. to like stuff like that. Right. And I think because in the 60s, when you had the, the, the counterculture and you had the uh, baby boomers coming of age and you had them looking at like um, societal alternatives and stuff that mm-hmm. that um, different perspectives were starting to be okay. I think in when you got to the 80s, say, and our generation was coming of age, I think we had a lot of parents that were a lot more understanding and tolerant of that sort of thing. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why... Um, you did have this flourishing of more speculative, more imaginative, more not tied up completely in reality kind of stuff. Right. Oh, we also yeah, forgot. He- heavy... so... Sorry, go, Jack. Sorry. Heavy Metal Magazine was our version of rated R video games. 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Parents parents didn't really they thought, oh, it's just comics. <laughs> so they didn't read heavy metal magazine, just like kids. The parents are like, "Oh, it's just ga- video games for kids." Uh-huh. They don't watch, you know, what's going on with that. That yeah. So there, there was that aspect of it. You can say, I think. Although, yeah. although they they did have R rated video games back in the seventies. Mm, yeah, but did. a lot of people didn't didn't have a lot of hand hands on them, right? You didn't you didn't get you couldn't get them as easily. They were yeah, pretty and- underground. And they yeah. were they were pretty pointless. I mean, that's true. Really, you're not, last stand. Yeah, you're not going to be touching yourself to this stuff. I mean, let's seriously. Yeah, a couple of, like, <laughs> pink colored blocks moving around on the screen. Unless you're really weird, but okay. Well, not... but I'm sure some people did. Human nature being all. But actually, you bring up an interesting point, Don. We actually forgot Ooh. to mention about how video games appeared in the '80s, and video yeah. game culture again tied with nerd culture became was super mainstream. Like, even more so than D&D. That was, like, a super mainstream thing. Yeah, and I I think the video game ties into something else that I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Because starting in the 70s, one of the things that helped the nerds was that you had a flip of who the typical hero was. Mm -hmm. So the kids that were the villains in, say, 70s and 80s films were the kids that back in the 50s would have been the hero. Mm-hmm. Like the, mm-hmm. the 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 well-to-do family, the good upbringing, the the perfectly coiffured hair, like those were the upstanding kids, and it was like them poor kids who got into crime that were bad. Whereas mm-hmm. by the seventies, by the uh, end of the seventies, it was the opposite that it was the good-natured, hardworking poor kids standing up to those boorish, like like usually sociopathic uh, rich kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that because um, with their power glove, yeah, with their power glove. Yep, that's true. <laughs> it's so bad, but, but oh, oh my god! But yeah, and that's and that was part of it. And what you had was this sort of um, tacit acceptance of the weird, because the outsider and the underdog used to be the weird guy, but now they're starting to get a little more. It, it's going back to Jack's thing. They're going to take our women from us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was seen that more people were the outcast kid than the rich kid. And that was partly why the outcast kid started to become the hero. Mm-hmm. Mm. Makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And, and I mean, does that go back to uh, things like, like, again, those, those, those Joseph Campbell stories that uh, George Lucas tapped in on where you've got, um, because Luke Skywalker is is the outcast, right? Yeah, yep. Mm. And so kids are like, "Yeah, that's the kind of person that I want to be." And and a lot of, I mean, if you go back to heroes back in in Greek times, they weren't really, for the most part, outcasts. No, they were like kings and princes and yeah, yeah and exactly. sons of kings and yeah. stuff like that, right? Mm, true. Uh, now, some of them might have started off in fishing villages, but they always had that pedigree, right? Yeah. Well, not always. I mean, I mean, I'm currently reading. Um, Oliver Twist at the moment, which, mm-hmm. it, to be honest, I you know, I'm sorry, it's my first time reading it at this age. <laughs> I just finally got around to it. Um, which, and by the way, it is one of the most fucking hilarious things I have ever read. Wow! If you have you ever read Oliver Twist? No, no. no. I, I tried to read the Pickwick Papers, and I was this is when I was with Shannon, and I'm reading it, and I'm going, "This is awful." And <laughs> she said, to, and she looked at me, and she said, 
paid by the word, Jack. Paid by the paid word. Paid by the word. <laughs> and I went, okay, that makes perfect sense. No wonder it's going on and on and on. Like, if he had a better editor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, all so, of our twists, everyone gets, like, the movie version, which is, like, super serious, of course, because it's paid. But if you actually read it and actually understand right. what he's saying, the thing is a gigantic satire. It's yeah. like mm. it's fucking hilarious. It's a, it's like a huge attack on the society of the day, and all the adults are buffoonish idiots. Uh-huh. And the way they are acting, and these, these comments on class and society and everything, it's really funny. Actually, it's I I wow. keep I'm killing myself laughing listening to the darn thing. I, I'm listening to an audiobook version. Mm-hmm. Sure, but the but going back to my point, Oliver Twist again is a example of you know the young hero rising up the young nobody hero rising up the outcast uh you could also Mm -hmm. go with great expectations i mean you know he used that formula a few times and he's hardly the only person that did the idea of the outcast hero rising up is not new but most of the legends throughout history are of course of great heroes like the great men not the outcast that's true yeah right Right. Yeah. No. You're you're right. The modern the modern versions and 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 I would consider 19th century uh, writing to be fairly modern compared to back in the days of the Greek times. Oh yeah. But I mean, uh, if you take a look, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Basically, everything that Roald Dahl wrote mm-hmm. <laughs> had some kid whose parents were dead. And he was living <laughs> with somebody that nobody liked. You know, and he just you, you just you just cried every time you were reading about where his was. You know, or his, his father. You know. Uh, is Charlie's father puts on the the lids on toothpaste tubes, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's his job, right? <laughs> right. And and so yeah, you, you, there's there's that kind of thing. But I think that's a more modern day of uh, that's sort of like the Protestant we can do better kind of right. aspect. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's always been there. I mean, there's always been the outcast becoming the hero. But I think mm-hmm. you have a point where Star Wars for our modern society going starting from when the first stars was released truly did become the template like it became mm-hmm. the thing that everyone everything else was based on in our society movie wise yeah. after a certain point yeah what's yeah. the old story you know if if you are, are writing fantasy you have to deal with tolkien mm-hmm. you have to either yeah. you have to either do something like tolkien or de- deliberately do something against tolkien yeah yeah. But you have to, you, in one way or another, you have to manage what you're doing because he's that much of an effect. And I would say when it comes to space fantasy, science fiction, pulpish kind of stuff like that, it's the same thing with Star Wars. You've got to manage how you're going to appear next to Star Wars. Or Star yeah. Trek. Those are the two poles that you're going to yeah. have to deal with one way or the other. Well, they were. They were. I yeah. know things have yeah. changed a little bit, but yeah. And that's... Again, that's something else. Those are the standards for our generation. I think mm-hmm. that uh, things have changed since then. There have been definitely some new developments that have affected things. But they are very strong uh, influences. So you know, so what's the, what's the new pillars then? Well, we'll get to that. All right, so um, that's, there's a little suspense, man. A little suspense. And that's... <laughs> Another story. And there you go. Another Ham- story. <laughs> Little hammy hamster for those extra nerds in there. Ooh, for Canadian nerds. Canadian nerds. <laughs> Canadian nerds. Hammy hamster. Wow. I haven't thought about hammy in a very long time, Jeff. Yes, GP the the guinea pig. See, there was another nerd. Yep. GP. GP the guinea pig. He was the, he was the inventing nerd. Yep. There you go. All right. Ahead. So there we go. Okay. So we're in. The, so in the nineties, we have the development of the internet. 
And yeah. that changes things where suddenly you're a nerd, but you're a tech nerd. So you're yeah. about making money and uh, such because we have these first internet booms starting like mid-90s really. And it starts going up from there until the end of the 90s. Yeah. And I would say nerd culture and mainstream culture kind of parted ways in the 90s. They mm-hmm. were not... But whereas in the 80s, they'd been kind of like running kind of parallel to each other. I would say that they kind of parted a little bit in the 90s. There were video games. I mean, nerd stuff definitely happened, but it wasn't quite as mainstream, I think. At least that's my take on it anyway. Well, I th- I think you're right because I think cyberpunk sort of veered away from science fiction too. Like if you were into cyberpunk back in the 70s mm-hmm. and the 80s when it first started, you were back on the outside, really. Yeah. You were you were a very minor because a lot of people were like, what the hell is this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure it out. So even by the time you got to the 90s, those people who grew up in cyberpunk and those people, that had developed and brewed and became a part of a new nerd kind of culture there. Yeah. Well, right. that, that and I think what ended up happening, cyberpunk's a great example that by the end of the 90s, it had happened. So it wasn't future speculation. Now it was like retro. Hmm. Yeah, that's so, true. It kind of happened. And well, that's the other thing, right? The 80s, and I think this goes with what we said about nerd culture from earlier. The 80s was a time of prosperity for most mm-hmm. people. Remember, people had leisure time. You didn't have to worry about where your food was coming from. You had time to think about nerdly shit. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. the 90s was not so nice. You know, the 90s was an era of um, economic disparity in a lot of ways. Still is, but the 90s was kind of the beginning of the... uh, The 90s was kind of the beginning of that economic disparity. It was the 70s, again, as Don would put it. Yeah. And so as an end result, people weren't that into nerdy things generally because they were more worried about survival. Like, you were more worried about the dark realities of life, and you didn't have time for that nerd stuff. So the 90s definitely did not help nerddom because people were more focused on um, just surviving. In fact, the only major things to come out of the 90s nerd-wise, I'd say, really were uh, Magic the Gathering. There was like the live-action role-playing and such, which had an effect on nerd culture, but really wasn't ever as mainstream as D&D ever was. Like It did go a little mainstream, but not completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and anime started its invasion of the United States in a truly earnest way in the like nineties. Um, I, th- I think there's other stuff though. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think kind of tying in to the, uh, the everybody's like guts to get paid was, um, the nineties were kind of the peak and the collapse of the, uh, nerdly speculator. Oh, there's that too. Yes. Cause that's the comics. Yeah. Well, and not just the comics, because by the, the mid-90s that died, and then it was action figures. And then, mm-hmm. but it was, again, it, it, was, it wasn't that people were collecting things to enjoy. It was people that were massing things to later sell at an imp- increased price. Right, mm. right. Like that kind What's of... That, is, is that a hold off from, like, Reagan economics in the 80s when everybody was trying to get rich and the whole wall street uh alex p keaton days <laughs> of everybody there's another reference part of it family ties people there but i mean yeah i mean everybody everybody thought oh but we're gonna all gonna be rich right so yeah. that that was the way to do it well hold so. on a sec i think there's another aspect to it remember that in north american culture traditionally um something has to have monetary value to have value yeah mm-hmm 
And so one of the ways that nerddom basically justified itself, and this started during the 80s, was by saying, well, look at these comic books. They have value. Yeah. They have monetary value. And therefore, they're to be respected in greater culture, which respects (laughs) value. Yeah. Mm. And I think that 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 carried over into a lot of the collector mentality. A lot of stuff, as soon as it had monetary value, society accepted it. And the nerds realized this. Yeah, because in the 80s, you're getting, you know, the whole Crisis of Infinity Earths, which really got a lot of people's attention. You're getting the Dark Knight Returns, Mm -hmm. that whole reboot of the DC Universe, and even some really strong stories from, like, Chris Claremont and the X-Men and those kind of things. Those, yeah, that's really a a big aspect. And they were no longer the funny books that kids bought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they were now collector's items. And as soon as they became collector's items, they became mass culture as soon as right. you, as soon as they became worth something they became yeah. you know greater culture and accepted so you were mm-hmm. no longer a lonely nerd in your basement with millions of comic books you were now a collector yeah mm-hmm. who was collecting and speculating on comics and therefore just as respectable as that stockbroker down the street in your own nerdy way <laughs> and, and <laughs> in a practical way in all likelihood as we found out but I think that's true, and I, th- I think tying into that is uh, what, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that the 90s were when the big companies were realizing if you cultivated a crop of diehard super fans, it was a ready audience. And I think that was one of the reasons why you would have like the speculator thing, why that started taking off, because you had companies playing into that, because they all wanted to cultivate their own group of Trekkies. Mm-hmm. Like That's when true. the mm-hmm. when the action figure collecting took off, that was uh the the whole McFarland figures. That was the entirety of of their their marketing was that these are going to be collectors' items. Awesome, buy fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. That's completely and, true. And so I, actually, I guess we shouldn't say that the nerds and uh, nerd culture and mainstream culture went completely away. In the 1990s, it was still there, but in a way, it was they—they they were connecting in a different way. They were connecting in more financial ways than they were in cultural ways. Mm. But you and and then you were creating a brand new kind of nerd, young nerd group with like like you said the animation uh, invasion mm-hmm. of things like Sailor Moon, yep. right? Yeah, it comes crazily bearing in and Pokemon and yep. these these like really powerful uh, like Rangers uh, cultural yeah all yeah. oh, Rangers Power Rangers big big powerful cultural touchstones that would show up you know 20 years later yep yeah. <laughs> oh yeah as we're we're gonna have a new power rangers movie that comes out that's supposed to be really dark which will be very interesting <laughs> i called it 20 years ago <laughs> he did he <laughs> did indeed <laughs> <laughs> well because that it. that's the thing too i think what started happening because um the 90s when you got harry potter and mm-hmm. and i think what harry potter did for nerddom mm-hmm. and i think what what happened kind of parallel Harry Potter made it okay to be a nerd of any age. Yeah, and it was because everybody read the books and they came out. Like, you had kids waiting for days in line. You had adults waiting for days in line. Mm. I'll go even further, Don. I say Harry Potter made it possible for girls to be nerds. Um, yeah, I think I'd have to... I'd have to I, th- I wouldn't say made it possible for them to be nerds because they were all along, but 
they yeah. they made it po- okay for the public to accept that girls were nerds. Mm, I'd go with that. And and to encourage them to be yeah. nerds. Like this is this is you're going to have like you got nerds on the on the outside, male and female everywhere, but now you've got girls saying to each other, "Are you reading Harry Potter? I'm reading Harry Potter." Yeah. And it's becoming this grand public nerddom that's happening because <laughs> I mean, I got to be honest, I mean more women I know, uh, more girls read Harry Potter than guys did in the mm-hmm. 90s oh, yeah. as a teacher. I can say that. And even now, they still are the biggest fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, true. but and even then, wussy emo vampires are nerdly, and that's like a, a that was a girl thing since like the Anne Rice days, really. Also, yeah, in the 90s, you also true. got the Sailor Moon boom, which we mentioned there yeah. as well, which also yep. made it acceptable for girls to be nerds. Remember, that's where girls as anime nerds come from. Because yeah. prior yep. to that, anime was more focused on, like, you know, Mecha, like Robotech and Star Blazers. And all. It was more focused on the boy stuff. That was yeah. one of the first mm. major female-oriented anime that hit, and it influenced a huge number of young girls. That's why yeah. Sailor Moon was massive in the 1990s and early 2000s. Yeah. And a whole bunch of knockoffs. There's that too. Oh yeah, lots. <laughs> Wedding and lots of peach those. powers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that. Wedding peach powers activate. Yeah, that. that I make that, fun that. of anime whenever I can. Okay. No, I, I'll, <laughs> that's okay. I'll, I'll join you on that one because yeah, <laughs> it was it was the same thing that holy it it it's like um after Pokemon hit everything was kids collect things and make them fight and it's like really and then it got to be that's right then you got Beyblade our tops are like no it's a it's a fucking top kid <laughs> oh. I remember battling tops too no no it's Beyblade yeah, what are it, you talking about it's different <laughs> no it's not slap but yep. and I think I think too what ended up happening to nerd them in the 90s was you had the big companies realize that nostalgia sells yep there's that too. I think that really started taking off, and I think one of the things... I think you're right, yeah. Because the big push for that, I think, was the X-Men. Mm-hmm. That when the X-Men mm-hmm. moved out of comics, and they did like the cartoon on TV, and they started the movies, mm-hmm. um, what they were doing is they were taking whoever the currently popular characters were, and shoehorning them into the really popular stories from the past. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of the first acknowledgement of the uh, nostalgia sells thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Batman animated series was the same thing too? I think what ended up happening because Batman came out eighty nine ninety, and it it was it was kind of like another Star Wars in mm-hmm. that it damaged the entertainment industry because nobody gave a shit about Batman. Okay, everybody's like, the Dark Knight Returns. That was still this weird little nerdy thing that the average person didn't get. For the average person, Batman was uh, was Adam West doing the bat two seat. That was Batman. Yeah, mm, true. That's right. The movie nobody expected it to go anywhere. Nobody ex- cared. Um, they were still thinking Adam West because if you think all the music videos that came out for it mm-hmm. were yep. they were very sixty six Batman looking. Yep, the true. bat dance. Yeah, the bat dance. Yeah. Like it, and then we went back to that with Batman and Robin and and <laughs> Batman Forever because we it kind of went back to the sixties. Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's a catch with that though, because so the Batman movie comes out and it's a mega hit and everybody lost their shit because nobody cared, and that was what you had happen is um everybody bought the rights to everything, mm-hmm. and that was when you started uh they licensed every comic book out there for film even though most of them never got done. Mm-hmm. Because they mm-hmm. they just didn't know they didn't 
how did this catch on? This was some dumbass show I watched as a kid. And I think that started <laughs> the nostalgia wave. That started the uh, the remake, the reboot wave. Um, the mm-hmm. Batman animated series came out, and it only came out because the the TV the 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 movie was such a hit. But I think they were still trying to kind of do their own thing. They definitely were. Yeah, yeah, because it it's yeah. It's not really nostalgic because they brought they added a lot of new characters to it, mm-hmm. and Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Well, even then, like uh, 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 Officer Montoya, mm. I think was yep. introduced in the show, and she, yeah, she was, showed up yep. in the comic. And uh, Red Claw wasn't from the comic, mm-hmm. and they added a lot of like background stuff that hadn't really appeared in the comic. And they fleshed things out more because, again, I think it was they—they they were doing their own thing, but it was riding that wave from from the movie, right? Yeah, it had that old-fashioned Art Deco kind of look yes. to it, which yeah. was really cool. Yeah. Well, it was basically meant to be. There's been like what sixty years of Batman. We're gonna take it and not sixty, be more like forty. There's been forty years of Batman, and we're <laughs> gonna take it and we're gonna basically sort through it. And give you the best of it. Like, here's a distillation of the best of all this random Batman stuff that's been around for 40 years. Because as I I recall, too, Mr. Freeze in the animated one, um, they'd never really fleshed him out. Like, as as I recall in the comic, he was always just, I will rob the bank because this accident gave me powers and grr. Mm -hmm. Whereas the idea of his wife and him wanting to cure that, I think that came from the animated one as well. I bet it did. Yeah, I bet it did. I bet you it did too. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And then, the, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger stole that gig. Yep. Yeah. And that... Oh, well, because the thing I—I th- I guess what's worse though is the Bane they had in that movie. I, that was the only superhero movie that I literally <laughs> almost walked out of. It was Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. I was in so much pain watching that movie. I swear that my gallbladder burst. <laughs> and everything else. Right. It was just awful. Just awful. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. That's oh, okay. Because that that ties in too with uh, a weird Batman aside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again that nostalgia wave because everything that comes out Batman related goes way before like like the 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 90s except the only bad guy that that came out of the 90s that persisted was bane mm-hmm. and even then every permutation of bane outside of the comic he gets screwed yeah like he's yeah. he's he's a he's like the dumb thug in that one um yeah. the one they just did he's like the the love sick sidekick to the uh the one vil- and <sighs> and in the comic He's like a crime boss. He's like the only guy who definitively... He's amazing in the comics. Well, he beat Batman. That's... Yeah. He's... And broke his back. Yeah, he's the only yeah. villain that definitively ever beat Batman. Yet, in the movies, yeah. he's... 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 I don't know. Um... Oh, you're giving me BTSD. <laughs> Bat Tram... All right, so... We're getting offside we, there, we, yeah. Okay, we better, we better get back on focus. Okay, but it's interesting, Don, that you brought up the, um, the X-Men... Because I'd uh-huh. say the X-Men is actually the start in a weird way of where, mer- where nerd culture is right now. Okay. Because the X-Men movie, is, that's where I'd started, is in a lot of ways the beginning of the modern era of superhero movies. And I'd mm. say that it's yeah. that modern era of superhero movies, especially the Marvel movies, that have really helped to make nerd culture mainstream. Okay. That combined with the generation of young people that grew up in the 90s. So to them, this nerd culture, video game, anime stuff, 
that's all completely normal. That to yeah. them is this like normal youth culture. They don't yeah. differentiate it. They don't see it as any different because, well, yes, of course everyone loves ghost. Lo- of course everyone loves superhero movies. Of course everyone goes to see them. Of course everyone loves Batman. Of course, yeah. of course. And you go through this. And the thing is, they've grown up with a lot of culture that really wasn't that bad. I mean, we had comic books. They in the two thousands had actual decent animated series. Yeah. Not just Batman mm-hmm. the Animated Series, but I'm talking, of course, about uh, some of the Cartoon Network stuff, like the Justice League co- series that they did. Yeah. And, yep. um, oh my God, now I'm yeah. blanking on them. But the 90s have done... Anyway, the key point is this, <laughs> is that they've actually had a lot higher quality, I'd say, nerd culture to deal with or to enjoy than we have. And mm-hmm. as an end result of that, they have been able to grow up in a time where nerd culture, what we would call nerd culture, is completely mainstream. It's the norm to them. I think nerd culture also ended up creating, like, when you when you talk about the X-Men series, the original three that came out, mm-hmm. I think that was, in some ways, nerds pushed away the episodic format. There's that too. And moved towards, con- 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 uh, like, a continuity. Mm-hmm. Because nerds love continuity, Right, yeah, and so now you're finding almost all shows have continuity because they know there's going to be somebody who's going to glom onto it and go, oh, oh, <laughs> three episodes ago, yeah, he he was actually his right eye was blind and now his left eye is blind. Yep, and 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 back in the day they went, oh, who cares? Like we're just telling a story here. Nowadays continuity is key and so you're seeing that happening in the movies Mm -hmm. in such a way that all the marvel universe and now the dc universe misstep as it's made (laughs) every single time and i am talking about you comic girl 19 you're amazing go watch her youtube thing but yeah (laughs) she's she's sitting there she's having posts she's she's having like an existential crisis after watching suicide squad going dc just just burn everything to the ground and start over again right tell good stories right and so marvel has taken this time so that you can find you know a poster on the wall in ant-man which reflects back to the avengers movie which reflects back to the they're all integrated for the for the nerds out there what makes marketing easier well that i yeah i think you're right that that's um a gift with a mixed blessing that the nerds brought to pop culture. But I think it goes mm-hmm. a little bit before the, uh, before the X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. Because okay. the first time you really heard that was Babylon five. And, and that sure, that was the selling point was it's got a story arc. Yes, it does. It's boring and derivative, but it certainly oh. does. <laughs> I love I, I'm going to grab my uh, popcorn here. I'm going to sit down gonna and cry. I'm going to enjoy this fight. Gentlemen, this, this don't a whole, let me this stop a whole you. other episode. Time for the fight. You can shave off. You can shave off. You can shave off season one and season five, but two, three, and four are magical, magical elements of television. It's the first show that actually did a novel to television. See, and and you're... people people argue that the prisoner was, but it was wasn't even nearly as it was far more. Uh, together than the prisoner well, the prisoner was far more disjointed and I, I i do think that that babylon 5 again for better or worse is the the thing that started continuity as as a thing for tv mm-hmm. and and movies and such like i i do think that's where it started because like i said when it when it hit and the internet was kind of just starting that mm-hmm. was what everybody said was what made babylon 5 
super awesome was that it was one big continuing story. Yep, that's true. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the Doctor and I could do a whole thing on Babylon 5, but the Doctor has it, – it gets um, addicted to stims. Mm-hmm. And they do that storyline over like three seasons. Uh-huh. So you see him start, you see him go through it and deny it, you see him finally come to grips with it, you see with him leaving until he can he can handle it the whole bit. And then you've actually got like literally character arcs. Every one of those characters had beautiful character arcs mm-hmm. within the stories. But then you have Next Generation where Jordi LaForge gets get LaForge gets entirely um brainwashed by the Romulans mm-hmm. and the next episode He's fine because at the very end he's talking to Deanna Troy and she makes him magically perfect again, mm-hmm. and that just made me so angry because like it was never mentioned again. See right. and that, and that was the thing that I remember all the Babylon Five fans like going on about, but I mm-hmm. I still didn't like the show. I mean Rob probably remembers it, there was Babylon Five and the X Files that mm-hmm. everybody we hung out with loved, and I used mm-hmm. to tell them episode to episode, season to season, exactly what was going to happen. And he was right. He was yeah. actually right. He was he was dead on pretty much. He predicted all of it. Yeah, Tim Tim used to get mad at me for that for ruining X Files. Could say and the season finale. This is where he's going to actually find out what happened to his sister. Well, no, they I did. Fuck you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is is certainly I agree with you. X Files sort of. I think for me, X Files played itself out by season three because it was the same thing it was a monster hunt basically almost every episode okay before the break this is what will happen after the break this is what will happen mm-hmm. very formulaic oh yeah babylon 5 it kept me guessing and that's that's a big th- hard thing for them to do and the callbacks that they had in babylon 5 were fantastic for me mm-hmm. anytime they mentioned something they obviously they they seeded something one episode that they may not come back to for a couple of seasons. Yeah. And uh but they always did. So they never left you hanging. I'm talking you lost. <laughs> they never let you hanging. Mm-hmm. They actually completed the whole thing. That's true. Now did you guys watch the entire series or not? I've seen it more than once. Yeah. You've seen the entire series more than oh, once? Oh yeah. I because oh, okay. of the way T V was back in the day, um I usually tended to see each episode twice. And then I would watch them again when uh, when they were in syndication later on. There was a time when they were okay. sh- being shown here. Uh, was it was it Omni TV had them and they yeah. showed them every weeknight. No, from... no, Space the Imagination. No, Omni had. Omni had them. Omni had them at one. I don't even point. know what Omni is. Omni's a multicultural channel out of Toronto. Yeah. And, oh, really? And channel okay. Four on your cable dial in Toronto, and <laughs> they actually showed them every. It was either at six or seven. I think it was at. Seven, that they were literally showing them every weeknight and that, that yeah. was actually for about two years there they had them when space didn't have the rights i think it was before space got the rights to them yeah it was, wow it was, it okay was just a regular tv show and i yeah. yeah and then i watched through that time so i've seen babylon 5 through probably about three times and i'm still more with dawn than i am with you <laughs> well because my my problem with something like that because when story arc became a big deal um mm. I wasn't real thrilled simply because ever since I was a little kid, we watched the Japanese stuff, and that's how they'd been writing their shows since the 60s. Well, that's true. The Japanese... Well, here, let's just not say the Japanese. The rest of the fucking planet. The rest (laughs) of the fucking planet... Sorry to get sweary for a second here. Um, I'm following Jack's example. Um, (laughs) the, The rest of the planet has been 
basically making serialized TV since forever in pretty yeah. much every form. It was just the Americans that decided to make TV with no consequences or continuity and, and decide that was the best way to go because of the American system, yeah. basically. Yeah. Whereas the rest, the British, all their stuff generally had continuity. I mean, even Latin That's America, true. you know, they're called telenovelas for a reason, you know. Because generally speaking, they're a TV novel. They were basically taking classic like love story novels and take, and following them through. Which surprise have an ending. Japanese stuff has an ending. Live action, animated oh. doesn't matter. They all have yeah. endings. It's just True. American stuff that was designed to go on for flipping ever. Huh. Yeah. Sorry, that's my rant. But that's something that always annoyed <laughs> me as a kid about American TV. I mean, I've... It was your turn. It was your turn to rant. <laughs> yeah, it was, so we're, thank you. We're glad. <laughs> I appreciate it. That, well, no that was one of the things that I hated about TV as a kid in the 70s and 80s. Being a nerd, among other things, the one thing I didn't like about Star Trek, for example, is the lack of continuity between it. Although Don has yep. since pointed out the original series, if you watch them in order, has more continuity yes. than you realize. Yeah. It does actually. It does. It does actually have more continuity than real. It has more continuity than Next Generation. Way yeah. more. Way yeah. more than Next Generation. Which ever did. drives me crazy. Yep. Um, and 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 that's what I and that's what I liked about Enterprise. But we're also getting off. We are off actually. There topic. is another ninety series. Here. Just to sorry to interrupt. That actually is the one everyone talks about though. When they talk about our story arcs though, they don't talk about Babylon Five. They talk Top about Rock. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay. No, but I believe. <laughs> You can. I don't quote me on this one, but I believe I have heard somewhere that that uh, Whedon actually took some of his inspiration for the way he did Buffy with the arcs and that from Babylon Five. At least that's what I've heard somewhere. Go. But I don't. I we may can be go wrong. back even earlier than that. We can go back to the '80s and Twin Peaks. That's true. Yeah, but well, Twin actually, Twin Peaks Twin was the Peaks beginning was... of the '90s, actually. Was it? Because really? it was running I it was... when I was in my first year of university, and that was 1990. So I, think it, it's, it, I think it started in the 80s. I think it's another one of those 89, 90 things. Or maybe I'm talking about the Twin Peaks TV series, but there was a miniseries before then that was in the 80s. That might, yeah. be, the, that might be the case. Yeah, the final episode was in 91 in so, Twin Peaks. So, okay, I'm wrong. I'm talking about the, the, the series that came later on. No, 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 no. But the first episode was in 90s. It was only two seasons, right? That's the television oh, okay. series, right? So, right, yeah. So you're right. It's 90, 91. So, see, cool. you see we're, and we're proving the point actually about nerds being obsessed with continuity, aren't we? <laughs> Even in our own lives. Even in our own lives, we're absolutely obsessed with continuity. And well, notice how we're structuring or attempting to structure this podcast about time, chronological continuity. Yeah, um, that's right. Because that's that's what it's all about, right? It's all about the flow of history, the flow of culture, the flow of time, yeah. and there's a continuity there. And nerddom mm-hmm. is part of that continuity. Like nerds were not mainstream culture and now they are now let's because we're starting to run out of time so let's do a little shift here then so what is nerd culture now if nerd culture has become mainstream culture then what's left for the nerds at this point i mean right now well let me give me a moment um (laughs) right now we've got the interesting thing where there's a lot of backlash against uh nerd culture being sexist and misogynist and whatever else racist whatever um and as I talked about earlier, I think some of that's the result because nerd culture was a refuge for, in North America, white males mm-hmm. um, staying away from those aspects of society and reality they just didn't want to deal with. And now they, that, that culture has kind of been dragged into the light, so it's under the magnifying glass. 
Yeah. So where do these like weird nerds go then if they want to not be mainstream? Like what's non-mainstream nerd culture now? Awkward silence. Porn. Porn. See, yeah. I, I, no, that's super. That, yeah. That's, we're, that's, that's super mainstream culture, Jack. Super. Yeah, porn's gone that's, mainstream. That's true, have, I guess. Have you seen the internet? <laughs> exactly. Star Trek porn? <laughs> it has to be first-gen Star Trek porn, or it doesn't count. Well, here's something to keep in mind, okay? The stuff that we consider nerd culture, this great degree... Colbert makes jokes about that during his monologues, and people laugh because they all know what he's talking about, or at least they pretend. And they he do. is a nerd. Yeah, he plays D and D himself. He's a super right? nerd, or at least he did back when he yeah. had time. He's um, been in the Hobbit yeah. movies. Yep. Um, he, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But that's my point, though. Nerd culture is so mainstream. Late night comedians make jokes about it, and most of the audience gets it. So, right. what's left for the nerds? I mean, this yeah. ties, of course, into where nerds are going, nerdum culture is going from now. But, but no, here's no. It's an even huh. bigger question because does that make them nerds anymore? Yeah, I think I gotta. If it's all mainstream, you're no longer a nerd. Yeah, because the whole aspect of being a nerd is being a social outcast. That's true. See, I, I think, yeah, I think because what ended up happening, um, society stopped by the end of the '90s, and I think what what happened there was um, the big companies that got the hang of marketing. And thanks to the internet and that, now you can market to every specific little group you want. So there really isn't the idea of, of, of a nerd as an outcast isn't a thing anymore. And again, this is something you'll see um, if you remember back for your 80s cyberpunk, that mm-hmm. everybody is a counterculture now. That okay. ev- everybody is part of some little small specific marketing group. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there really isn't mainstream anymore. Ah, okay. So it's deconstructed in such a way that you know we're now just segments. So society yeah, is completely fragmented, is what you're saying. We're a whole bunch of different little marketing segments, as Jack said, or fragments. Yeah, and, and every now and then, like one will float to the surface, and it'll be a thing for a while, and then it goes away. And like we we were all together talking about. Um, for the invention of teenagers about how nobody complains about anything. I think it's because again, everything just sort of bubbles around. So whatever comes to the surface can't really create a new paradigm because Mm -hmm. the current paradigm is that, well, there's all this stuff. It's like a stew and every now and then you get like a, a big chunk of steampunk and every now and then you get a slice of superhero and, and maybe it's like, a romance story maybe it's an action story and it all just kind of froths around right i mean yeah i, I think you're right in, in the respect that i think even things like fashion hmm. and hairstyles and clothing styles they've been stalled since the 90s yeah like you, hmm. you can go back to the 90s and watch a 90s show and nine times out of ten it, except for the, the the faded quality of the film it's gonna it'll still resonate with what people are wearing today yeah. for the most part. It's interesting. You know? You're right. I mean, the 80s is still distinctive, but the 90s isn't that different than today. Yeah. Because now they they're not they're not selling to them what they're wearing as much anymore. They're selling to them uh, these segments of what they what they could what you could be what is your nerd? That's yeah. what it is. It's what is your nerd now. Huh. There's no longer nerds, it's what is your nerd. Mhm. 
And that's yeah. all they're interested in. And that's all they're interested yeah. in. You're right, actually. And that would tie in with something else that I've heard about. And you can confirm this, Jack, about high school, that I heard that there aren't really, like, cliques anymore. Not in the same sense that they were when we were young. Like, there's not that nerds and jocks and cheerleaders and all that stuff, which was a little more of an American thing. But I've generally heard they don't exist anymore. Like, everyone yep. belongs to their own little groups that like stuff and that, but it's not socially stratified it's not set up like it was when we were young it's Hmm. actually quite different and that makes sense well and and also things like cell phones and stuff like that have helped destroy it too because that you can you can have your nerd and not look like anything Mm -hmm. and and text each other most of the time and not have those one-on-one you know you don't have groups getting together the same way unless they're in some sort of activity Mm -hmm. yeah Whereas, whereas you know, we would hang out with with D and D kids, and those the soccer guys would hang out with themselves after the game. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now people go and play their own video games, and they're everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Or somebody goes and, and you know they text from somewhere, and everybody does it. And so those those kind of barriers have broken down based upon technology. Mm-hmm. And again, the ads, the advertisers telling you yeah. what's your nerd will sell to that. Right. So I, I, everyone's a nerd now, huh? And I think you hit on another uh, another aspect of it kind of sideways-ly, is that back in the day, if you wanted to gain some serious nerd cred, you had to put the work in. Hmm. Like if you wanted to mm-hmm. you wanted to hang with the uh the, the comic crowd, you actually had to read the comics. Whereas nowadays if I want to know like um what toe did Wolverine stub in issue one ninety nine of the X Men, I can just look it up on the internet. That's true. Yep. That's very true. Yep. I think, though, that there are nerds, but in the sense that there are those who are involved with nerd culture, what we would traditionally have called nerd culture, at least for the last 30 or 40 years, but that are so deep into it mm. that I think there are, there are levels of it. I think there are still... Here's, here's where I'm going to tell you where the nerds are Okay. Still. Mm. The people who are creative... Okay. Oh, okay. The people, the people who are not just buying whatever the culture is in, but the people who are writing it themselves, who are drawing it themselves, mm-hmm. who are making it themselves, those are the few leftover real nerds. Interesting. I don't that think they're that. Sense. But I don't think they're that few anymore. Like I, I think. Um, well, the nerd brings the, sorry. The internet brings everyone together, right? No matter how small yeah. your niche, everyone's brought together. So you're no longer a few; you're one of many. But I, I mean, not. But oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You you go ahead. Oh, um, I was just gonna say it. It's the idea, like, um, uh, nowadays anybody who plays role playing games is also a role playing game designer. Like, I, I think that's more... Same thing with, um, if you read comic books, you at least dabble in making comic books. Like, the nerdly arts, there are very few participants who aren't actually practitioners, I think. I, I disagree. Okay. There you go. I disagree I entirely. Too, actually. Looking looking from at the, the younger generation, I would say our generation is... Mm-hmm. But I would say the generations below me aren't nearly as much they, because they have so much opportunity mm-hmm. for for distraction. They go, why would I bother making my own comic when I can go online and read as many as I want? Why would I bother going ahead and writing my own world when all I have to do is plug in my PS3 or my Xbox and I can play an entire 
world of uh, or worlds of multiple games that are on there. I find less kids taking the time to write mm-hmm. than when I was a kid. Huh. I would agree with that. Sadly, I, I'd say that there is so much to enjoy that most of them don't actually ever think of creating. That they really don't, and. When they do create, as someone who's taught writing like Jack has, I can say that the stuff that they do tends to actually be really, really shallow. Right. Um, and it's usually yeah. just... Der- and derivative. I was like derivative. crazy derivative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the stuff, oh. it's super derivative. Um, because that's all they know. Mind you, the stuff I produced when I was their age was probably also super derivative, so I'm not really throwing stones that way too hard. They just have more to work yeah, from. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they have a lot more to work from. Huh. Yeah, and so it's hard for them. But I, I'd go with this idea point. I'd go with Jack on this one that I think that not as many people become creators as you think. Now, do they have the opportunity? I would say yes. There, they have more mm-hmm. opportunity to become creators than any other time in human history. Yeah. They have more opportunity to find yeah. an audience. They have more opportunity to get their ideas out there, to interact with artists, to do everything. Absolutely, they have more opportunity, but they don't take it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, they do not use that opportunity. They think about their cell phones. Their cell phones are the greatest multimedia devices in the history of mankind. They can produce yep. multimedia at incredible levels. They can write, they can film, they can record, they can do anything. They can mix music, they can make movies on their cell phones. But they sit there and text. Huh. Yeah. Because that's easier and more entertaining. Humans are lazy creatures. And if you offer them yep. the easy way out, they will take it nine times out of sorry, nine point nine times out of ten, they will take it. <laughs> Huh. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe my thing is skewed because I don't have friends anymore. So most of the people I associate <laughs> with, like like online, are creators of of something. But a lot of them are sure. also part and, of our generation. Yeah, and, and let's be honest the inter the internet masks how few we are mm. by bringing everybody in the world together in one room. Yeah, that's true. true. So, you know, if, you, if there's like two billion people who speak English and there's 12 people that that make action figures, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, I'm I'm surrounded by people who make action figures. But then you start realizing, wait a minute, huh. <laughs> there's nobody else in my city that does this. Yeah. There may be nobody else in my province that does yep. this. Huh. You know, so that's a whole different thing. Whereas you go back to the fanzines, mm-hmm. you ton of people could get together yeah. at least six or seven people in your town could get together and write something that's true hmm. and that was very common well somewhat common anyway um so yeah. among, among the, nerds. the nerds exactly yeah. so so i guess that would mean that nerd culture is in a way now just culture yeah there is no longer a differentiation anymore and presumably that will stay for the future i mean yes there are the true outcasts who are just so weird that they don't belong in any form of mainstream culture well, they get and the maybe politics the... now. Well, that's true. They become pundits, and they do and, political nerds, and they become and they become advertise ad, advertisement to sell back to us, yeah. right? It's that whole what was that whole phrase where they said, you know, first you have a really good idea, you know, then then eventually it becomes like so sold out that it just gets sold out back to you. I forget. There's like a three step thing that happens to mm. it. So, and that's where we're at with nerddom, mm-hmm. right? Like where it was something that, that was like outsider art, yeah. outsider people. Then suddenly, whoa, this is really cool. Now everybody wants to be a part of it. Now it's cool to be a nerd. Now what is a nerd? Yeah. It, 
Because we all we all have our nerdy yep. things. Yeah, exactly. We all everyone either plays video games or reads like online web comics or, yeah. or watch or whatever watches Marvel mm-hmm. movies. I mean, they are part of mainstream culture. They're no longer nerdy culture anymore. Why? In mm-hmm. some ways, maybe because when you talk about that, yeah, there's no activity that average people look at and go, "Oh, look at them weirdos!" Like, I can't really. I'm thinking even at work, we had a uh, one of my supervisors was all excited because he saw a genuine steampunk. Oh, one of one of the guys playing the uh, the machines had the mm-hmm. uh, the guy, and it, it wasn't a fast; it was just a guy who looked like that. But he wasn't okay. getting he wasn't getting stared at by everybody else in the place. And right. yeah, there I I can't think the only thing I can still think of mm-hmm. that people go, yeah. And even then it's kind of become more of a more of a punchline than an actual genuine Ugh! would be like the furries. Yeah. It's more of a jo- it's more of a joke than a scary thing. Yeah, like because the, yep. they go. They're, they're like the last the last uh, bastion of nerd them that you can still kind of. Yeah, at least I'm not one of you. For now, well, I didn't know. Kinda. There's always like like the hardcore, you know, like the guys who collect like you know sex dolls and dress them up and things like that. I think they're still thought of as kind of being social outcasts. There are always people who are, people who write dinosaur porn, for example, to go back to our <laughs> regular punchline, are not considered normal even among the erotic writers. Although, yeah, again, it, a lot of the erotic writers, from what I've noticed, seem to actually kind of admire them. But still, but it sell it, it sells like that's the the weird. Like I say, there's there isn't. It's it's kind of like um, I I can't. Yeah, except maybe yeah, the dinosaur porn thing, which I totally. <laughs> but even then, if you make a reference, people know what you're talking about, and I think that's the um, scary thing. Yeah, because because there's nothing there's nothing occult, and I mean occult in the literal sense of hidden or obscured. Like yeah, there there's no thing, and I think again it goes with that idea of the internet that no matter what you what is this there's dinosaur porn I can look it up right away and God help me be an expert in, in a matter of minutes. <laughs> That's true, and I think that may have led to the extinction of the nerd because unless you're actually <laughs> skinning your neighbors and eating their organs, there really isn't too much out there that. Pe- and even then, somebody's still going to write you letters in prison. But yeah, there's there there's nothing that's real real obscure there's nothing out there there's nothing that's truly avant-garde and let's remember come on like you were saying about you know buying sex dolls or or whatever like that that's not that's just being an outsider doesn't make you a yeah nerd. true being the unit being a unibomber doesn't mean you're a nerd no. right <laughs> it just because you're an outsider it has there are other elements there's an, there's an intellectualization that goes on yeah. there there's a there's a reading aspect that goes on there there's a there's 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 an actual cultural thing that goes on there that's as true. well so that's true so yeah there's there's outsiders that doesn't mean there's nerds that that are outsiders anymore now here's the weird thing though if everyone is now a nerd okay mm. and north american society still has its anti-intellectual bent how does that make sense anymore then Be- well, I don't think everyone is a nerd, though. I think everyone has a nerd. Yeah. Okay. okay. You know what I mean? They have a nerdy thing. Okay. So that what that's what makes it okay, right? right? So if so, for example, one of my teachers, she's into princesses, Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. That's her nerd, as far as she's concerned. Mm-hmm. Everything else, she's like white bread, 
this as this way she puts it, right? I'm just like normal, but I'm like an absolute freak for Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody has their nerd, so they have their connection to nerddom that right. way. But but you know the people like you and me and Don and 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 the people who are our age, we're the elder nerd. Mm. We're the ones that that liked all of this kind of right. stuff because it was outsider. Now that it's all insider, they get to pick and choose, and there's there's no there's no social mori against right, it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas there was for us, right? There was there was absolutely a problem being a nerd in our mm. age. Yeah, that's true. Not for them. That's why they can pick and choose. Now it's just like going to the supermarket. Oh, I'll have some anime, please. Yep, yeah. And uh, I'll have this and I'll have that. And there's no concern about having any kind of social backlash. Yep, that's true. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, can, yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think that, again, is why you get um, so much hardcore nerd rage. Because it's it's if you're going to declare yourself a hardcore true fan of something, you got to be damn hardcore to stand out amongst everybody else partaking mm. of it. Mm-hmm. Hence the, uh, you know, once Superman decides to to put his undies on the inside, the, the, the living outrage. Right. <laughs> the, the, one, the one that did it for me, um, which I think is, is again, kind of illustrates my point, which is where my nerd rage totally dissipated and he thought people are dumb was when Enterprise came out, I remember the first episode came out, and there was a lot, if you were an old fan, not to like, but there was this group of people that were super vocal and super adamant that Star Trek was now ruined because there were words to the theme song. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Which my, which my son now sings regularly. Okay. Because <laughs> well, we were watching it together. We're watching Enterprise, my middle son mm. and I. And he walks in singing, I've got faith in the heart. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done now with that, but thanks. That was... I mean, I, Star Trek Beyond was such a love letter to Enterprise. I'm surprised they didn't have the theme in there somewhere. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to take place like ten years before Kirk. And I, I, I said Star Trek Beyond, cool. not Star not Star Trek uh, Discovery. That's a different one. Oh no, Discovery. Oh yeah, Star Trek Beyond is the yeah, movie. Star Trek Beyond. Really? The... You think? You think it's it, it's an ode to oh, Enterprise? Oh yeah, there were so many Enterprise. Spock's wearing an Enterprise uniform. Didn't you notice that? Got it. No, hmm. didn't notice Did, that. He's at wearing all. one of the Enterprise jumpsuits, and when. I was I was kind of falling asleep through Star Trek. <laughs> well, yeah, you're. That's you know, people either are bored to tears by it or loved it, but that's entirely different conversation. Uh, yeah, that's our Trek. That's our but, Trek conversation. I want in on that one. But that, no, there's <laughs> references to the Makos. There's like tons of references yeah. to Enterprise after a certain. Huh. Once they find that ship, it's like Enterprise reference right. after Enterprise reference from that era, anyway. Right. Um, okay. So it, it's a love letter to Enterprise, practically. Okay. <laughs> So I guess the final answer then is it's as you said that there are no nerds because everyone has their nerd now. Yeah. Everyone has their own little nerdy bit that as Jack said they pick and choose and therefore it's there is no nerd culture anymore, not really. Yeah. So join um, us next time for the Department of Average Affairs. Well, that's exactly it. I think we should right. share this will be the last episode of the Department of Apparently. Nerd Affairs. Thanks for having me on. It's like... Apparently we need to change the show title. Wow, okay. So, yes, any final thoughts? Well, no, there's still nerdly affairs, right? There's still nerdly things to talk oh, yeah. about. Mm. You get to pick and choose, right? 
Especially a lot of the things that we talk about on this show are actually almost quasi-historical in a way. Like we've got we've got a more mm-hmm. of a backward-looking focus often, not always, but yes. but because yep. of that, we're talking about things that were nerdly in their time, yeah, and have been nerdly for most of our lives. Oh no, you're going to start calling this the requiem to the nerdly <laughs> the requiem to the nerdly affairs. <laughs> Wow, that that would be an interesting. Oh. We, we'll talk about the future too and everything, but we do do a lot of like historical cultural stuff that that I think. Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay to call this the Department of Nerdly Affairs. But you know, when we were coming yes. up with this show name, though, I will tell you that we we went through hundreds of options because everything related to geek and nerd as a podcast title or blog was taken. Yeah. Oh my God, was it of ever? Yeah. Wow. And so that there's another example of how nerd culture is the mainstream culture at least on the internet it is yep. anyway for yep. sure well let's be honest nerds were the first ones on the internet. absolutely they were yeah so we we took over we yep. ruled now we own yep. everything there back be- back before <laughs> an internet when it was a bbs oh yeah. that's right that's before when it's BBS and you called people's houses yep. <laughs> and they had phone line BBS and a modem was something you, you had to stick your phone in the modem. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys, this is too nerdly for me. I'm out of here. Okay. So um, on that note, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Don, and thank you, Jack, for coming on and helping us discuss the true nature of nerdliness. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. Good night. Night. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! (laughs) 